Hey, 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 it's John Grimes from Ambiguously Blind. If you're like me and have a fever for more cowbell, consider this your medicine, the AT Banter Podcast. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Again, that wasn't too bad. Hey, <laughs> I have derailed me. Uh, hey, my name is Rob Mano. Did I do that right? Something you did. So well okay. done, sir. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and joining me once again today, it's Mr. Ryan Flurry. Hello again. And who else do we got here? We have Miss Liz Malone. Hello, my friends. Uh, and uh, of course, we have a cowbell, as you as you well heard, and uh, we got some we got a special guest as well. But we will get to that in a moment. But uh, how uh, how the heck are the two of you? I'm doing well. <laughs> I think thanks. I heard your stomach just. Yeah, was in here my stomach. I, yes. I so too. Okay, so just to just to tie in the listeners, Ryan has a new mic. I think he's calling the shotgun mic, which. Listen, I have no idea what that means, but apparently that means something in the audio industry. Uh, but he's got a shotgun mic that uh, picks up pretty much Everything. every single sound uh, in his immediate surroundings and probably up to about 100 feet away. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, Maybe not quite, but close. Yeah. So, yeah. Welcome, welcome Ryan's stomach. To the- <laughs> <laughs> Glad to be here. <laughs> Feed me. <laughs> Feed me. <laughs> Feed me. Why are you doing a podcast? This is dinner time. Uh, off to the great start already. So, uh, yeah, is everybody recovered from uh, from our anniversary show? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was fine. I, it was a good time. Yeah, good good episode. Sorry, I'm a little raspy. I'm just getting over a little cold myself, but yeah, me and. You know, I didn't want to be outshined by Ryan's stomach, so I had to show up. <laughs> uh, God, it's great. Okay, well, yeah, listen, someone had to fill Steve's spot, so glad to glad to have him. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, why don't we get things started, Ryan? Uh, we've wasted enough time talking about your stomach. Let's dive right into what the heck we're doing today. Well, I had this idea and thoughts that thoughts about advocacy and those of us who are blind and partially sighted sometimes feel or maybe always feel like we have to be on our A game. We have to be advocating all the time, whether we want to be or not, whether we feel we are advocates or wannabe advocates. And so I thought it would make for an interesting discussion, um, getting everybody's input as to their thoughts and opinions on, on that. You know, why do we feel like we have to advocate? Do we feel we have to advocate when, you know, I feel society really doesn't expect much from us, so why do we feel that pressure? So I just thought it'd be an interesting conversation. All right, well, Without further ado, then, let's introduce our special guest and friend of the show and uh, get going. So, Ryan, who do we have here for the 11th time? 
We have our rotating, almost regular co-host, Sean Marsalay, back with us again. So welcome, Sean. Hello. I'm a little offended that the cowbell got introduced before me, but uh, <laughs> and Ryan's stomach. <laughs> but I'm very happy to be back. Oh, Sean, we saved the best for last. <laughs> thank That's you. Right. Thank you. <laughs> Oh dear. Okay. Well, let's. Uh, yeah. Let's. So. So. Really, the format of the show uh, is just going to be, you know, a bit of a roundtable discussion. So, just to put it out there to the group, answer as you will. But do you feel like you are advocates, sort of by by default, just by being within the disability community? Well, um, I don't know if we necessarily. Well, I think the three of us who happen to be in the blind community and on this episode, I think the three of us are chosen advocates or else we wouldn't be here right at this time. I think, though, that there are times when we are almost sort of made as selective <laughs> advocates in our in our private lives, just on the basis of being in the unsighted community. Um, so I, I think that there is that element that everybody is sometimes put into that position. But I definitely think that if you take a position in an advocacy role on any kind of stage, um, doesn't even have to be on a podcast, but even within your community, I think that we sort of feel that extra added pressure, responsibility um, to kind of always be wearing that, that uniform. At, at all times, because I've met plenty of people who are in the community and I've seen them. I've kind of been the witness and they've been approached and I can assure you they had no, no qualms about expressing the fact that they had zero interest or, or any, uh, any feelings of obligation of being any kind of a representative um, uh, of, of the community. So I, I think that there is that element of sort of that self-selection that ties into this. Um, it's interesting because I honestly, most of the time don't think of myself as an advocate, which is ironic because I definitely, I guess I am. But to me, advocacy is like writing letters and protesting and like sort of, you know, enforcing your rights or something like that is how I viewed it. And my whole, I guess, mission in life has been, I just really, really, really want the world to know that blind people are capable and really just like everyone else have the same desires, needs, whatever, like just, I just want to be treated equitably. And, and so everything that I've tried to do is kind of that, which of course in itself is advocating, but I don't think of myself as an advocate. So I think my, well, maybe I'm jumping into another question here, but um, yeah, my passion to educate is so motivated by my own wanting to be accepted. Like I don't, it's not really, it's like if people could understand that blindness doesn't make me that different, that you know, that I, I just want to belong. I just want to fit in like everybody else. So in order to fit in, I have to kind of explain what I need. I have to, um, educate people to see that I'm not that different. So I don't know, like, 
because of where I want to be in society, yes, it, it is something that I just have to do. If I didn't advocate, then I wouldn't be able to participate as much as I do. I probably wouldn't be, maybe I wouldn't be as accepted as I have been. So one of the other questions I had that I wanted us to talk about leads right into why do we feel we need to fit in? Why do we want to fit in? Why can we not be ourselves? You know, even school age kids have their own cliques and groups and, you know, social groups, if you want. So, you know, who are we trying to be like? Who are we trying to be equal to? Well, but that's the thing. If you are uh, the if you're blind, you're probably the only blind kid in your school. So there is no group for you to just be with the other blind kids or, you know, you're, you either fit in or you're isolated on your own is kind of how I feel it's yes. Like as you become an adult, you can have the blind community around you and you can make that your place of belonging, but it is limiting because, you know, like there's going to be times when you're going to want to step outside of that and participate in something where you might be the only blind person. And it's a lot more fun when people include you or accept you, I think. You know, take, take, take disability out of the equation. And we're just like everybody else facing a lot of the same challenges in trying to fit in. So, you know, why do we feel this, this drive or this pressure to have to fit in? Well, but I think, um, if people's perceptions of blindness are negative, you kind of said at the beginning that people don't necessarily expect much of us. So why, why are we working so hard kind of thing? Right. And I think it's because people aren't, don't expect much of us that motivates me. Uh, you know, I feel like if no one, no one expected me to amount to anything that motivated me to push harder and be something to, to sort of demonstrate that, you're wrong in your perceptions of blindness. So if, and if the world has this sort of opinion that blind people can't do much, are they really going to choose you as a friend? Are they really, you know, going to invite you to do anything? Cause they might have this opinion that you can't do it anyway. So I won't ask. So if we don't advocate, if we don't demonstrate, if we don't show our capabilities, then I don't know. I guess it's FOMO to the extreme. It's fear of missing out. <laughs> like, I don't want you to assume that I don't like hiking or that I can't hike or that I can't swim or that I can't go camping or that I can't, that I don't want to go to a movie or a concert or whatever. Right. Like right. I want you to know that blind people are just like everyone else so that you think of me when it's time to send the invites out. Right. Well, I think also there's that element that, we have to, it's a very individualized question. We're not monolithic, just like any any group. And I think there sometimes is that stigma that we must all be the same. We must all want the same things and we must all be fearful of all the same things. And, you, you know, it is, I, I think it's important to just peel back the curtain and it's okay to say like, it is a very complicated um, subject matter because there's no one easy fix to say, oh, if we did this, then yeah, it would be a great place for all people who live with blindness. Um, the psychological, emotional, financial impacts, you know, of blindness 
impacts each of us so differently. So our feelings are so different from from case to case. So in my I'll just give an example. I'm I'm Korean by ethnicity. I don't have any Korean friends. I don't know anyone who's Korean aside from my brother who was also adopted and he lives in a different state and I never see him or talk to him. I I don't feel that I'm excluded or I'm this or I'm that because of the fact that I don't surround myself with Asian with any other Asian people. That's just my my situation. So to so the I guess what I'm saying is that sometimes people may assume that oh, well, she's Asian, she must feel really isolated because she doesn't have any Asian people around her. And and that might be, some Asian people might feel that way. I I don't. So I think that people need to stop making assumptions about us in the blind community um, that let us just have our own voice and our own decisions on things. And just like anyone else, like no one should decide for anybody, like I'm not going to order dinner for my friends because I think that, oh, I think that that's what they want. But maybe for someone else, they assume like, oh, if you're blind, you you must want me to do this or, do you know, it's like ask, communicate. And I think it's just a level of human decency that needs to happen in our social construct that I think would go a long way in helping to incre- to provide a more inclusive sort of feeling if it's just communicated better and the assumptions go go away and we are just treated kind of like like that blank slate don't i'm not asking you to color it for me ask me and we will we will write the story together hmm. yeah that's interesting i mean and but i but i think that it, a lot of this is good intention through good intentions they're going to try to order for you which completely backfires and actually undercuts all of that so i think that it you know it comes back to the lack of understanding and education in, in the mainstream as to what what it means to, to be blind. Well, and if it was a blank slate, <laughs> like then maybe if everybody was a blank slate, if we actually just met people and got to know people individually, ever you know, find out what their needs are, what they like, what they don't like, what they want, um, not just blind people, like any people then the world would be a very, very different place. But I think it is because we make all these assumptions. So people make assumptions about people with disabilities and and that advocacy is the fighting against their assumptions and their misconceptions, right? It's like the stereotype is there. I don't want to be the stereotype. I don't believe that I am the stereotype. So I have to educate you so that you know that I'm not. Yeah, and I and, and just to sort of tack on to something that Sean said earlier about um, the advocacy piece and, you know, whether or not do we feel like we're advocating or not advocating or so I think there is this other line of distinction between advocacy and activism. So because I, I think it's really important that, you know, that advocacy is not a bad word, I don't think. And I don't think anyone on this panel thinks that. But I think sometimes when people say, oh, they're an advocate or they must be really, mm-hmm. you know, gung-ho and they're going to be, you know, uh, the, it's this way or the highway. And I, I, I think it's important to understand that advocacy is just really speaking for yourself. It's, it's you know, self-advocacy is probably the most important component in much of that advocacy um, activity, if you will, 
because if you 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 sometimes you have to be the one to to say what you want, what you need, what is acceptable, what's not acceptable, and not let somebody else make that decision for you. So before you can even advocate for others in a group, you have to be able to advocate for yourself. And even if it's just within your circle and telling the people around you, this is how I prefer it, please don't do this, or please ask me for my opinion. That is your own form of advocacy. Yeah, for sure. I feel like self-advocacy is something that I'm, I do all the time, probably more than advocating for the community as a whole. And maybe trying to demonstrate like different different examples of different blind people who have different likes and dislikes and abilities, right? Like to try to show that we are a diverse group of humans. We just happen to be blind, but that's kind of the only thing we might have in common. Just like sighted folks. Well, and you know, sorry, going back to the, this, this idea of why, why have this idea of elevated expectations, I kind of see it as, it's, I think that's kind of a, a bit of a, a normal human response because I think when everybody else has lowered expectations of you, I think it's just automatic as a human being. You just want to, you, you want to elevate your own expectations. Like I remember an example of mine, I remember in high school, I had this really jerk of a history teacher that essentially, and I had no sort of passion for history. I was crappy at history. Um, I'd had him for, for history 11 and I barely passed. And so you know, he, he basically told me going into history 12, I was like, there's no way you're going to pass this. I don't even know why you're taking this course. And that, that pissed me off to a point where, you know, I actually worked my butt off in history 12 and got like a B. Um, whereas if he had never said that, I probably would have just coasted by or, or, you know, just been happy with the P. So I think that that's, you know, I think that that's a human response because no one likes that. No one likes to to have lowered expectations aimed at them. I think it can go either way. And it does. I think that if you're told you're not going to amount to anything, you could also internalize that and not amount to anything. Like I'm blind. I can't do anything. I'm, you know, that's, that's learned helplessness, right? right? That happens too. Or you can be like me and I'm like, I'll show you. (laughs) can't tell me i can't do it i'm definitely gonna do it twice as good as you thought i could you know to prove something but ryan i'm curious since you're asking these questions like what's Mm. your perspective well i'm i'm kind of torn because yes i'm an advocate and i will advocate for the community and the community's needs and you know access to information in the built environment until the cows come home. Um, When I first lost my sight, you know, advocacy wasn't a word that I knew. And you do have those people coming up to you asking the questions, how did you lose your sight? You know, um, having people, you know, read off menus to you or ordering for you, that type of stuff like we talked about. And so you're kind of put in that situation whether you want it or not. And it's easy for me at times to say, why do I care when society doesn't care? Why do I, why do I feel like I need to be or prove to everybody else 
that I'm just as capable. Why can't I just be me? And then there's other times where, you know, like yourself, Sean, and, and many others, you want to show people that I am capable, that I can do this and I can do that. I can r still ride a bike, I can still ski, I can still do whatever. Um, so I'm torn a lot of times, even though, you know, I'm a volunteer for an advocacy organization. Um, I, I will advocate until the day I, I die. I still have that part of me that just says, but why do I care when nobody else does? Why do I feel like I have to prove something? Why can't I just be me? I, I think it's because no one else does, right? Like, like, I don't know. I, yeah, I think, I feel like there's two different questions there. There's kind of like, why, why fight the fight? Like it's, it's this sort of, um, losing bat, you know, if, if, if the majority of the people don't care and we're going to just have to fight forever to, to be seen, it's exhausting. And, you know, we might as well mm -hmm. just not bother. Is that part of what you're saying? That's part of it. But then, like I said, the flip side of that is, well, we have to because nobody else will. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's kind of like when I was unemployed uh, years ago and it was, it was a good year that I was unemployed and I would, you know, have apply for jobs and, and have an interview and then get the call that I didn't get the job. And it was just so deflating. And I would think, well, I could, I could give up. I could stop trying and I definitely will never get a job or I can keep trying and at least there's a chance. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess it's that it's like, we could, we could give up and just hope that so, maybe someone else will do it or, <laughs> you know, the world will change or people will, I don't know. We, we can hope that, but chances are it's not going to improve for us if we do that. Oh, I totally agree. And and like I was saying to Rob earlier today, you know, I, I'm torn on that, right? Because I feel like I am an advocate and I will keep advocating. But at the same time, it's like sometimes you just don't want to, right? You don't want mm -hmm. to wear that hat. But if you don't, nothing is going to get done. We're not going to have accessible transit. We're not going to have audio description. We're not going to have accessible board games. Somebody's got to do it. Right. Yeah. So sometimes you just you just don't want to do it. <laughs> For sure. I agree. But I guess it's it's like I want to be able to do the things so it's worth it. You know, I want to be able to participate. I want to play the game. I want to go skiing. I want to go to a movie. I want to be included. So it it's I don't know. And maybe having to experience being left out, being on the sidelines, not being able to do the activity because it's not accessible, not knowing what's happening in the movie because there wasn't description. Like, it's just like, I would rather advocate and get a better world than have to live in the one that existed yes. before. Right. Agreed. Yeah. I also think it's not a bad idea that sometimes we'll experience our own advocacy burnout. Mm. And um, excuse me, I know that I've, ha I've had that in the past where I just kind of had to take that step back and just, you know, sort of take the break and, you know, remove myself from some of those, the, the voices, because sometimes you do, you just, you feel like you're fighting and, and it's, and it is physically and mentally 
draining. And then plus you're still living with the, you know, the low vision and, or blindness. And, and um, so I, I don't think that if you need to ever take a step back and I'm not saying this, Ryan, take a step back. I mean, mm-hmm. But anybody yeah. who's, who's, who finds themselves in that space where they just feel exhausted or whatever, it's okay. You don't have to mm-hmm. be active and involved um, all the time. And I don't think there's anything wrong with taking that space I think sometimes some of the organizations, some of the members, uh, because you're dealing with, you know, some people who are very fiery about it. And then you have some that are, you know, that it's just about, you know, the the fundraising and this and that. And, you know, and, and it just becomes so corporate or bit, depending on what kind of groups you may be involved with uh, and on what level. So, you know, allowing yourself to take that that breath is not um, is not a bad thing. That's a really good point. And I, that's one of the reasons I love podcasting because it feels like it, it's a way to advocate without actually, like it doesn't feel as exhausting. It's just yeah. talking <laughs> about what happens in your everyday life, right? Yeah, just ask Rob yeah. with all the editing. <laughs> <laughs> Hoping that people are listening and might be interested and might learn something because that will make it easier for, for me later like that i don't know that's an easy way to advocate that doesn't cost as much energy absolutely mm-hmm. we all have a lived experience that is our own right that we can share mm-hmm. with people and i think that for for other people i think it's, it's a lot less intimidating to to do this learning when they're li- listening to something for a, a, like a podcast so yeah i do I, I i definitely agree how much of of this do you guys chalk up to just basic just personality traits well i'll just quickly Mm. jump in and say i think for myself anyway that you know stepping into an advocacy organization was a a huge step for me i'd never been part of one before didn't know what i was getting into didn't know what was involved didn't really think much about advocacy didn't know really what it was Um, and so that was uncomfortable for me i'm an introvert i'm a homebody I'm a very solitary person, but at the same time, um, there's a lot of things that I don't do because I've made the choice to not do. And you, I anyway have to, have to force myself to step out and be uncomfortable at times so that I can be or feel like I'm involved with whatever an activity might be. You know, it might even be something as simple as getting together with a group of friends to go see a movie. You know, I don't travel independently here. And so it would be getting in an Uber and getting to the theater and getting in. And that that's daunting to me. I didn't lose my sight here in Vancouver. I didn't travel here in Vancouver with a cane. So it it's uncomfortable for me to step out and, and do that sort of stuff. So I think personality has a lot to do with it. I think also how, I don't know if this is going to, I don't, this is not like a thought out thought, but how angry maybe you are and how you deal with your anger. So um, I can see like people who are radically advocating might just feel really pissed off at the injustice and feel that that is so wrong and they need to fight. Whereas other people will, you know, internalize it more maybe and, and just sort of feel deflated and kicked 
like I'm, I've got, you know, kicking you while you're down. So, and they might just give up because it just feels like too impossible. So it's, it's sort of like it's personality and it's, I don't know. It's sort of like how you deal with adversity, I guess, as well. And I, I think what I would add to that is also sometimes in these <clears throat> advocacy efforts or activities, um, sometimes that is one of the opportunities where people who are unsighted can actually get together and interact with other unsighted people. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> many of us don't have um other members in the blind community on average uh, within their inner circles. So sometimes becoming um, a part of that mix and into the fold of certain um, certain efforts can make you feel very wanted and included and a part of something that maybe has been lacking um, during your, your, your journey. Um, and then also depending on, I guess, maybe how recently you, you joined the community, um, if it's something where maybe it's lifelong, maybe you, you know, in some cases, maybe you don't feel that same or you're, you're kind of adjusted or you, you're, you're content in your situation as opposed to maybe somebody who's, who's much, who's newer and had such a drastic change and, and they, they're, they're almost using it as a coping me- mechanism to adjust. But again, th- those are still very unwritten rules because there's an exception to every rule and really any all these rules don't really exist in any kind of real construct so i'm just kind of using those as kind of examples of how diverse and how wide-ranging people can can be even within a singular um group and even under similar pardon me similar circumstances that all of our personalities, our past experiences, our coping mechanisms, our feelings of belonging, our inclusion, our family, our support systems are all going to be factors into how um, how we would want to be involved in certain 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 activities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, connecting with a group, uh, an advocacy group, even if it isn't successful in the advocacy endeavors, there's at least comfort in like-minded people who face the same struggles, right? So it can, it can just, I mean, that's the thing about self-advocacy or advocacy in general. It, it is this ongoing fight and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but you're always going to meet another person who's never met a blind person who has <laughs> this, <laughs> this, these incorrect you know, perceptions or, or misconceptions and, and you got to face it again and again and again and again, and it does drag you down. It can for sure. So just being around people who get that, um, can, can be kind of healing or kind of at least like a reprieve from facing that. So I'm sure a lot of people would connect with an advocacy organization just for that alone. But even outside of the, this, the social aspect of that, do you think that that just the act of of advocating because we're kind of approaching this with the idea that you're advocating for something you're expanding energy to make something better for the community or for other people but what about the idea of when you advocate you are fulfilling a need or you're doing something for yourself it's making you feel better about your own situation do you, do you, does does advocacy sort of do that for you guys um 
I guess sort of indirectly. I think for me, if I can educate a group of, let's say, neighbors um, and they now see me as an equal and they like me and they invite me to their party or whatever, then I feel better about myself. I feel less different, less blind, less disabled. So in that way, yeah, it's kind of like, all right, I won some more, some more people over (laughs) onto my side. They, they get it. They understand. They see me as having value and that makes me feel more valued. So also maybe more valuable. I don't know. I think that when I was, when I was a little younger in my, in my journey, I think that it did help me in terms of connecting with, with others in the community because I did not have any, and it really did serve as a way to connect with some others and spend some time with, with them. And what's, what's kind of interesting is that what, what I learned is that even within our community, we're just as effed up as any other community <laughs> when we're together. I mean, it's not all of us holding hands and oh, we, we hold hands and we lead each other and we walk to, you know, we do, uh, you know, go to the park and we feed the ducks. And it's not like, you know, it's not this field trip n- nonsense. I mean, I, I've, I've, I have found that sometimes I've, I've connected with people that were you know, we didn't agree on everything, but like-minded in that, you know, listen, this is, you know, the situation and we do what we can to move forward. And it's nice to have someone or, or someone's to bounce things off of. But I've been within groups where I was thinking to myself, I would never want to be in this room with this group of people other than the fact that we all seem to have this same condition. So there is also that element of sometimes you it 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 kind of helps you gain more perspective that you're like okay blind people are just as human and multifaceted and complicated and picky and irritating and maybe and I'm sure there are things that I did that irritated other people um and exceptional just as in any other group of of people. So there's no, oh, well, you're blind and you're blind. You guys must want to be friends. Not necessarily. I mean, I'm sure we could probably have a nice conversation. Um, but so I, I think that my need now versus what it was back then is much more about more perspective. Um, I've had more time to experience, you know, my, my situation at my, at, at my level and I, I think that it's just like anything, we evolve. Um, so what you go into it as and what you do at a later time, you know, maybe different motivations. But I think more than anything, it has to be that it, 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 there's a part of you that wants to have some sort of some sort of change and some sort of forward momentum. So, Ryan, you were talking about why can't we just be and and. Like, why do we have to work so hard? Why can't we just be who we are? And why do we have to prove ourselves? And I I think that is the world I'm striving for. (laughs) You know, it's sort of like, eventually, I hope that that is the case, that blind people can just be, and that people have an understanding that we are a diverse group of humans. And, you know, there's not this immediate, either you're helpless or you're inspiring or you're amazing. You're just a person 
and let me ask you what your perspective of the world is or what your needs are or aren't like i think that's the goal right because yeah why can't we just be like it would be nice to not have to do all the educating and advocating and explaining and answering of questions all the time in every situation totally i mean you know even from like you know as, as an able-bodied person like it that, i feel like that is what the mainstream public has to get into their head is that everybody's exactly the same you might not want to advocate on a particular day just because you're having that type of a day like you have days like everybody else so or you know it, it, do you want to go bungee jumping no uh that's not because you can't it's just because you don't want to you know what i mean like so there there, and that's a that's a big difference it is getting better i do think it's better it's better i recently signed up for a class and of course i had to a writing class so i'm it's not anything to do with blindness but it's also like writing blind people can write like it's not like i'm signing up for like a biology microscope class, right? Like <laughs> something that should require vision. But I had to think about like, okay, I'm going to have to, I should contact the instructor. I should find out what, how this is going to work, what accommodations I might need, how the other students are going to interact with me. Uh, and I went to the first class last night and it was pretty, pretty fine, pretty chill. Like I did email the instructor. We had a little back and forth briefly. It wasn't a big deal. She's like, we'll just figure it out. I said, yeah, we'll figure it out. And we're figuring it out. I mean, ask me in 10 weeks how it went. But <laughs> like, it. I feel like there is more acceptance, at least maybe in the big city. Um, I don't know. Just like things are, there's, there's a trend to be inclusive. There's a, it's more expected to make accommodations. I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel, but I do feel like it's a little bit easier. Yeah, I do. I, I, I would agree with that. I think that there are more conversations being had and people are more educated. I think it's, it's becoming less of a big deal, but I also think that that is part and parcel of higher visibility and more people mm -hmm. speaking out and just more interactions happening. Yeah. But that helps motivate me to keep advocating because it is working. It is making a difference. And if if we keep putting ourselves out there, right? Like, so in this class, there's a new sort of group of people who are going to have the experience of interacting with a blind person and maybe shift their perception of blindness. And then they take that to their families and their connections. like. Every time we, so sometimes in my view, like just participating is a form of advocacy. Mm. It's like, I want to be here. And in my being here, you're going to learn about blindness, my experience of blindness and what I need, whether you want to or not, but you're going to. And maybe you don't think of it as being educated, but it's impossible not to be, right? Any person that I've interacted with really on in any kind of sort of social or professional level has learned something in that interaction. So the more we get out there, the more people will understand. Yeah, that's very true. And I mean, you know, something that we didn't really address early on, but we should make note of now is that, you know, we're kind of using the word advocacy very loose. Um, and we're actually talking about, you know, a few different things. Um, 
you know, there's certainly advocacy in the sense of, you know, joining an organization and fighting for, you know, whatever, whatever issue. Um, but you're absolutely right. Advocacy can just be showing up, being visible, answering questions when people ask you, um, being out there and being a quote, you know, representative of the community that can be its own form of advocacy as well. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily take, you know, going out and becoming, uh, you know, devoting 20, 30 hours a week to uh, an organization, although that wouldn't hurt, but, you know, it, 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 it can take a lot of different forms. So, and heck, you know, we're, we're advocating doing this podcast every week for the last eight years. So. Eight and a third. <laughs> well i don't know any final thoughts before we wrap this up because we have to go hold hands and go feed the ducks so. <laughs> what do you think ryan advocacy uh, or to advocacy or not to advocacy <laughs> well no like i i'm totally on board with it you know the reason like i said i wanted to approach this was because there does reach a point at times where I want to throw my hands up and I'm sure many others do as well, but we have to keep fighting the fight because if we mm -hmm. don't, we can't expect others to do so on our behalf. So, you know, yes, we have to wear the advocacy hat. Like you said, whether it's just showing up, people will take notice and take away whatever they take away from that experience. But, um, no, I thought this was good. I thought there was a lot of excellent points. And yeah, I'm just glad you guys were able to make it and share your experiences. Happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Ryan is all, we, we, we planted that feeding the ducks seed in with Ryan's stomach. Screw the ducks. I'm feeding <laughs> myself. <laughs> I'm going to eat the ducks. <laughs> Little, duck is duck quite Lor delicious. Duck l'orange. Duck orange with a little pasta. Pasta. <laughs> Sounds good. I like mm -hmm. that. Yeah, we're going to make you an honorary Canadian yet. Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a boot time. Exactly. <laughs> FD wide open there. Uh, okay. Well, then I guess we're done. Cool. I, I consider it done. Meeting adjourned. <laughs> so, let's get out of here. Well, hey, uh, hey, Liz. Oh, uh, hey, Rob. Where can people find us? Um, I'll be at the Duck Pond, but the rest <laughs> of us, you might be at atbanter.com. That is correct. They can also drop us an email if they so desire at cringing cowbell. Oh, Ooh, wow. Gee, that, one, that was. That was piercing. That was three feet away from the cowbell. <laughs> cringing cowbell is where they can find you. Like cringing yeah. cowbell at ATVenture.com. That went like down the spine. Oh my yeah, gosh. Wow. Okay. Wow. At, uh, Wait till the Halloween show. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Boston. Oh my god. Anyways, uh, they can email us. Where else can they? What else can they do, Ryan? They can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Oh, wait, Facebook and X and Mastodon and Instagram and wherever they listen to their podcast. Correct, sir. All right. Well, we'd like to thank Sean once again. It was a great uh, 11th, 
11th uh, appearance. <laughs> you You're welcome. Thanks for sharing, Sean. Yeah, yeah we thanks to, for having me. have you back on because I don't like odd numbers. So Okay, we, we, I'll we, come we, back. We need to even it up at 12. So yeah. I'll be back on Halloween. All right. That <laughs> is going to about do it for us this week. Big thanks, of course, to Sean for joining us. And we will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. 